Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green and I am here with uh, several of my colleagues and one person who I've grown to admire since we've been living here in Canton and that is Jill Mann. I hope that we have an excellent show for you today and I hope that you are listening and that you will have an enjoyable experience. Today we're going to start talking with Jill Mann, Principal North Canton Elementary School. I know that several of the people in here, and they will introduce themselves as they're speaking, have several questions for Jill, and so I am looking forward to her response. Not only is she a principal, but, and I didn't warn her that I was going to say this, but I just thought of it right now, she's also a farmer, or at least she has a farm, and so there are plenty of things with all we're going through right now as a society, as a nation, as a community, that she has unique experience with that she can... There's plenty that she can inform, inform us about as we discuss today. Jill, is there anything you want to say to introduce yourself further than what I've said? Um, I've been a teacher, um, and I've now been, I'm now a principal of, this is my third year. So altogether, I've been in education um, around 18 years. Um, I love North Canton Elementary. I love my families. I love my kids. Um, I think you know how much I love all those kids at North Canton. It shows. Um, I'm happy to be there. Uh, our church, I know, has worked with North Canton on several projects. I think a lot of the churches in our community has. I know that Jill attends regularly. You're a member, right? Mm -hmm. At Plains United Methodist, and um, we've done some things with them. And so I really love the fellowship that we have with not only our churches here in Canton, but also with our schools. Uh, our kid goes to Meadowbrook but our church partnered with North Canton. So I get to see both of those schools and a lot of those teachers and a lot of those principals, and it's really been a blessing. And so, Jill, I appreciate your willingness to let our churches come in legally and carefully and be partners with your school in whatever ways we can because both of us have uh, the same goal, which is to help our, our children and our communities become stronger. I'm going to open up the table to questions and I want to start with Peter Constantian who's going to introduce himself and then ask a question or talk. Hi Jill, uh, my name is Peter Constantian. I'm the pastor at Long's United Methodist and uh, Crusoe United Methodist Church and uh, you know I think that the quarantine has affected a lot of families in the communities. They've seen how um, you know kids um, being home has, has really changed, and uh, I want to hear from you kind of what the perspective is from the schools, how the quarantine has affected the students, and how have teachers maintained their connection with families during this time? Um, well, I can say that students and parents and teachers are now working harder than they ever have before. Um, you know, just the engagement piece of it. And parents are not, you know, used to being at home all day with their child and doing school. Hmm. Um, I know the teachers' hours look a lot different now than they did before. Um, they're eight to whenever at night when that last parent uh, text comes in asking questions. And um, I know parents' hours have opened up a lot too. You know, some parents don't get home until, you know, they are still working and they don't get home till later. Mm. And so they're getting online with their child even after work. And then sometimes the teacher may have to help them. So the hours have opened up a lot. Um, but, but I can say overall, our 
teachers and parents have been very positive and very helpful. And we're thinking about Mother's Day coming up this, uh, well, tomorrow. And, uh, and so I wonder, you know, it seems like kids being home has put a lot of extra pressure on parents uh, who find themselves not only working from home or trying to figure out how to work from home or if they're essential employees going out and yet coming back and needing to f sort of fill the role of assistant teacher in a way. Mm -hmm. And so how have you, um, how have you seen mothers affected by, uh, by, this, uh, by, by this new role that, that's been added to them? And, and yeah, how are, you, how are you trying to support parents through this? Um, well, one word comes to mind. I know that they're probably very stressed. Mm. Um, I know families are stressed because of all the extra time that they're having to put in. Because it's not just homework. It is, you know, we're still trying to engage them as much as possible. But what we have done at North Canton is we have told our families, you can only do what you can do. Mm. So don't try to overdo it. And please call us if you need us. I mean, we're there at school too. I'm there, I answer the phone, I help kids all day long. You know, so we're there for them. You can only do what you can do. Can you give us that a third time? You can only do what you can do. Okay, and that's from a <laughs> professional, ladies and gentlemen. I know that I need to hear that. I think everyone around this table needs to hear that. And I know, getting it back to Mother's Day being tomorrow, I know that our dedicated uh, ladies who are doing their best to hold down the fort, control their husband's anger, that's me, uh, raise and teach their kids and do their jobs. Um, I just want to take a break and say I appreciate you and, you know, she's right. You can only do what you can do. We have one of those here. How is it going for you, Jocelyn? Yeah, I, I'm Jocelyn Schaefer at uh, Grace Episcopal Church in Waynesville, and I have uh, an 11 year old who's from fifth grade at June, Alaska, and it has been really heartwarming. We go participate in the school lunch um, just because it's nice to get out and have something to do and see the assistants and everything. We're so grateful for that. Um, you know, we have more, I would say overall more good days than bad days, but I would say some of my uh, parenting challenges have been more revealed during this time. <laughs> um, I think in general, COVID-19 has been a very revelatory, apocalyptic time. Um, and so just seeing how many needs each person in our family has that we depend on a broader community to meet, including schools, including for boys especially, but girls that I don't want to underestimate, getting outside and rough and tumble and, you know, and so that's been a real challenge to figure out how to balance because I'm sure you hear from parents, the pull of screen time is so strong. Mm -hmm. And you know, when, during regular school, it's easy for us, relatively easy to set a boundary, like, I'm sorry, no screens Monday through Thursday, but weekends, you know. But without the, the rhythm of school, we've struggled. And um, you know, deal, deal with some guilt, deal with, um, you know, is my kid's brain just turning into mush? Um, <laughs> that kind of stuff, what kind of influences? But um, at the end of the day, I got a phone call from my best friend who lives in Charlotte who has kids, and she said, I just want to remind you that I spent three or four summers in a row watching nothing but talk shows and soap operas, and I went to such and such wonderful college, and I turned out okay, and I was like, that was the hope I needed to hear. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's going to be okay. Take a breath, you know? <laughs> in response to that, I have first an admission. Your kid is watching YouTube right now because he asked me, 
what do you have to do here? And I turned YouTube on. <laughs> and second, um, before this, YouTube drove me crazy mm. because Gideon, that's my son, just wanted to watch it all the time, and it's so mindless. I was sitting down on the couch, and he had it on, and I looked at my wife, and I was like, you know what this is? This is today's version of you can't do that on television. It was just so stupid. Can you say? Can I say stupid? I just did. It's stupid, okay? And it's it's flashing to here and there. It's just it excitement for the purpose of excitement. But now, thank God for YouTube. <laughs> I don't want to say that I don't care what he watches, but if just put him in front of something. <laughs> now we we still try to get him out, and but it, there's just this constant need and I'm glad because he's curious his mind's developing there's this constant need for attention and stimulation and I had a kid when I was 32 I'm pushing 40 I I, I don't know that I have it in me so <laughs> had this happened 20 years ago it would have been much worse I, YouTube is great <laughs> Maybe you should go back to school and be a teacher. Maybe not. You think that's what you might? I well, I, I was when I I had a part time not not part time I don't know. Anyway, so I, I for one semester, <laughs> I taught PE at in Salisbury at this private school. It was like a K through twelve, and there's a reason it was one semester. Right, <laughs> you got to know your limitations, and yeah. so. They say it's a calling, and I think we all have some kind of calling. Um, believers certainly have calling. Um, it's not just to, to behind the pulpit, but uh, I, it was not my calling. So I'm glad it was yours, not mine. <laughs> well, y'all well, bring up something uh, interesting, which is that, and, and I think this is common to both churches and schools, is that our teachers and our pastors are... Um, are now producing content, basically. I mean, uh, in in a large way, whether it's videos or um, through through phone calls or lesson plans that they can make into worksheets for kids. Um, we're, we're producing so much content, and so I wonder, um, you know, how has that how have teachers transitioned into that? And maybe if you could also touch on what are some of the other f ways that s schools are supporting the community during this time that people might not be aware of? Um, well, now, going back to your comment about worksheets and yeah. content, I can say this about my school. It's not just worksheets and content, even though it is online. They engage those students in, in them. They make their own videos of them teaching, and I have told them it's more about engagement and less about work. So I just want that kid to be engaged. And you know that has been a very positive message from our superintendent. He wants us to keep communicating with the students. You know, So we have been doing a lot of engagement and less worksheets, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But some of the other things that um, actually our whole um, Haywood County school system is doing that some people might not know about, I hope they do, um, is we are running the buses every single morning, mm -hmm. delivering meals. Um, and we also have the drive-through at school every day, um, and they can pick up a hot lunch. So how does that work? The the drive the, the bus drive. Route, well, so. I can tell you the bus route is our normal bus route. Okay. So it goes to virtually every kid, um, and they choose you know to get up that morning and come out and get their lunch, or they can come through the drive-through mm -hmm. um, at school, and it's from eleven to one. 
um, and you just come through, you hold up your fingers with how many meals you need, and we put them out for you, and you get out and get them and take them home. Or some of our parents have talked that they stop, you know, somewhere and have a picnic in the car or, you know. But that's that's the big thing that we're offering because we don't want our kids to be hungry. Mm. So. Yeah, school lunch is uh, such a, a, a an equalizer in a way because it makes sure that every kid has what they need in order exactly. to have a, a good learning environment. Um, and also, um, I, I mean, our school counselor, they're still online reaching out to students. Mm. Our PE teacher, she's offering exercise. Um, ours is on with wow. every single class once a week. Wow. Just to make sure that they're getting up and moving. Our music teacher is on every single week, once a week with each class, just keeping them engaged. And of course, like I said, parents can only do so much, mm. but they can choose the things that they feel like their child needs from the Google classrooms. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, especially uh, that you mentioned the, the extra work that's on parents. Um, we're thinking, we're trying to rethink Vacation Bible School. You know, the, our churches are actively trying to plan, and I know there are probably other churches who are thinking through, how, how are we going to do Vacation Bible School this summer? And uh, since the schools have had a few months uh, to try to learn best practices as far as engagement without and, and, and providing learning opportunities and activities for kids without overburdening parents. I wonder if there's anything that you have learned or that your teachers have learned in this time that, has, uh, that, that we could use or that we could consider as we try to plan our vacation Bible school curriculums. Well, I know we talked about this before, so I was just thinking, going back to the engagement piece, mm -hmm. rather than giving them um, worksheets, um, just keep getting them engaged, even if it is online, get them engaged and maybe give them some tasks that they could do and um you know get them doing something rather than just being on screen time and and don't make more work for the parents yeah Have, <laughs> so is is there a way that um has has been effective for kids to sort of uh for the students to respond and share kind of what they've been working on um I know on a couple of the meets that I was on, just for instance yesterday, one of the teachers had taken her science and made it into a scavenger hunt in their home. Okay. Um, and it was about leaving things and non-leaving things. And so she gave them a few minutes to just go around their house and find some things and just show them really quick on screen of living and non-living. Yeah. Um, just, you know, I know the kids have loved the scavenger hunts. Just trying to think outside the box and turning those worksheets into more engagement. Excellent. That's really good advice and I, I, we will definitely be considering that as we as we try to figure out how to provide um, a, a, a learning opportunity this summer for kids who would otherwise be coming to a, a, a Bible or a vacation Bible school. Which I guess that's not ruled out yet. I mean, we're still waiting to find out about summer camps at, in the Episcopal Church. A lot of camp church camps are. So what, you know, it may be at home, but my goodness, I really hope we can have physically distanced but still gathered in some of our green spaces and stuff, vacation mm -hmm. Bible school programs. Yeah, there's a lot up in the air right now. Yeah, there we, really is. It's, we kind of have to plan for both. Yeah, both. Yeah. both. Yeah. So, and, and is that, have your churches been thinking through that, I mean, how to plan for both and? 
I know that today uh, we're having the uh, Smoky Mountain District of the United Methodist Church is having a uh, Zoom meeting of the pastors to discuss. So what does opening, reopening look like? And they'll also be discussing, uh, you know, so what if there's a second wave, you know? You know, what if things go south and we have to go back to how we are? And what does the new normal look like? Because uh, I'm sure it's not going to go back to how it was two or three months ago. And uh, how do we keep people safe but still get people reengaged? And, you know, the experience for me and the others at this table, I'm sure, is that we have not been unengaged. It's just like the schools. I mean, we've, we've, we, the church is still going on, you know, and it's still going on maybe even at a, at a stronger level than before. So what I'm hearing you say is if you're going to do an in-person VBS, then as soon as you can, get it done before you before can. Before the wave. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> we don't want to be part of the second wave. Yeah, we don't want to cause it. Right. Maybe we have to rethink what VBS looks like. I mean, it's not going to look like it's ever looked before. Well, that's where the Episcopal Church and denominations that struggle with having a lot of young people to begin with have mm-hmm. an advantage because we've been wrestling with vacation Bible school as long as I've been a priest um, and what's, what's practical. Um, mm-hmm. And really, we've turned to more some specifically child-focused family programming where we want to build friendships among the parents, and, um, but we want it to be child-focused. So I'm thinking we may have a series of several picnics or something outside um, that could give out. us some, yeah, spread out, let the kids move around, have some sort of engaging worship. Um, but yeah, traditional vacation Bible school in a church that has relatively few children, mm-hmm. or I worked in an urban context before and all the parents had their kids booked in summer camps from the day school was out until the day came back in. The most you're going to get is for folks to come in for a few nights. And if you provide food and, you know, mm-hmm. But trying to figure out, you know, Vacation Bible School is one of those things, I feel like it had its peak sometime in the, like, post-World War II with the stay-at-home mom mentality. And it's like, what are we really trying to accomplish with Vacation Bible School to begin with, you Mm. know? So asking some of those fundamental questions might open up some avenues for creativity. Well, and that is a good question for us to ask ourselves again during this planning season is what are we trying to accomplish with Vacation Bible School? And uh, there's a group of um, Canton churches that are doing a combined Vacation Bible School and, and on a recent call we, we kind of asked that question and one of the answers that we came up with is we want to um, we want to provide an educational opportunity for the kids in learning about the Bible and we also want to provide um, materials and creative uh, opportunities for the kids that relieve the parents of the uh, the burden that they've they've had to take on as schools have been closed uh, yeah that may be a good I think that's the key bring you back in uh, yeah I think that would be the key helping the parents out who have you know had their kid all day long for this amount of days um, it's hard for me to speak that way because my children are older and my son is self-sufficient and he farms and then gets his work done, you know, all at one time. So I don't have to stay on him, but I can only imagine what these parents are having to go through being at home, having to school and having to make sure they're still disciplined and, you know, still having to be mom and dad at home. So if there's anything that could be done, taking some of that off of parents would be a great idea. If 
let, let me interrupt just long enough to say that while it probably doesn't need saying, everyone at this table loves children, and we are exactly. not saying that spending time with your kids is a punishment. <laughs> Most of us would like to spend more time with our kids. Uh, it's just that we have lived in a society all of our lives where the kids go to school or the kids go to daycare while you're at work. Uh, we, it, it's very rare that anyone can afford, because we like our stuff, um, for a parent to stay at home. And so we've gotten conditioned to not trying to be teacher and parent all the time, every day. For those of you who homeschool, I now appreciate you much more than I ever did in the past. Um, we love our children, or if we don't have our own children, that sounds horrible. If we, if we don't have, if we have not procreated biologically, then, um, or through adoption, we love the kids that we're around. We don't think they're a burden. Okay. I don't Sometimes think... Sometimes we do. Except <laughs> Jocelyn. <laughs> anyway, I don't think that was a necessary clarification, but I do want to throw that out there. Um, it is an added stress. Okay. Yes. We didn't plan our lives with COVID-19 in mind. Right. Okay. And that's why we're bringing it up. It's not because we dislike children. While uh, I have the floor as a, the table... Uh, I do want to ask you, you mentioned your son farms, and I mentioned earlier that you guys are, are farmers as well. How has that been affected by all this? You know, my husband and son have been the least affected because they stay quarantined all the time. Anyway, if Jody's not at school, he's on the farm. My husband is retired. He's a retired sheriff deputy. He farms all the time. I try to get him to do things during the day since he retired, and he's like, I don't think I can find time for that today. Because, you know, we do, we have cattle and sheep and my son has honeybees and chickens and, you know, we do farm, but it has not affected those two whatsoever. What about the They're, market and things like that? Oh, the cattle market is way down. You know, beef in the grocery store has gotten higher and there's less of it, but to take your cattle to the stockyard and sell them, the price is way down for farmers right now. So, huh. you know, we have not been selling anything lately. So in the, in the Episcopal Church, we have a, a tradition um, before the Feast of the Ascension when Jesus you know, goes up to be at the right hand of God. That same week, we have rogation procession. And rogation is like this word from Latin meaning rogare, to pray. But the priest in England would go out and around the boundaries of the farmer's lands or the boundaries of the parish, the area, kind of like the county, would pray for God's blessings on the fields and on the agriculture. Oh. So this is coming up for us May 17th. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of my hopes is to create a video of Haywood County Farms in the next week and um, offer some prayers for farmers in our community and for people's personal gardens. So it's so cool to actually talk to somebody who has a farm. <laughs> we have a ton of gardeners and wonderful produce, but farming's like taking it to a whole nother level. Yeah. So you should expect some time to look out and see her. Yeah, Rosalind I might try to get your, your address. Thing. I will certainly give it to you. <laughs> and in, in the process of all of these festivities, remember to pray for her. Absolutely. Maybe even get a list. Uh, and the Cattlemen's Association yeah. could also give you one yeah. uh, of, of people that you could include in that. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I've never heard of that. Mm -hmm. That's and, great. You know, I've been immersed in theology for my adult life, and I've never heard of that. So I'm glad you talked yeah. something today. Mr. Marsh, you haven't said much today. You okay over there? I am. I am. 
I do want to transition a little bit, and uh, if it's okay with you, Jill, I want to read some Bible verses, and, and we'll start talking about that a little bit. But before we can completely transition to that, you have any more questions for Jill? Jill, is there anything else that you want to say on behalf of you, your school, the school system, anybody? I just want to say how positive everyone has been. I know my teachers have worked a lot more. They have not complained one time. My parents have worked a lot more, um, you know, and, and they have not been complaining. I, I just think our community, our Kent community is wonderful, and I appreciate all the support from everyone, all the support from, you know, all the churches that we get, um, the parents, the teachers, the students, and, of course, the staff that is still working on the front line handing out lunches and, and still working. So I just want to say how much I appreciate everyone. So well, and it's Teacher Appreciation Week. Yes, it, it is. is. Teacher it's Appreciation Week. a shout-out to you and your staff and teachers. It and, is. Um, it's a blessing, and it's just so cool to be for me to be in a smaller community where there is so much involvement. People know what's going on mm -hmm. in the schools and are so passionate, and you're a great example of that. Thank you very much. And also, again, let me shout-out to my teachers. Happy Teacher Appreciation Week. I do appreciate y'all. Y'all are doing a great job. All the teachers are doing a great job in Haywood County. Uh, August 8th, um, if it's safe, if possible, to do it, uh, some of the community churches are going to be having the block party, which happens right outside this window. Um, and, of course, that's all contingent on what happens between now and then. But that's tentatively scheduled for then, and so we will have our school supply drive then um, and I, we we did uh, a bunch of stuff for students and ended up loading up the teachers as well at North Canton mm -hmm. last year and I hope hope that we will be able to do it again uh, Jill like I said earlier you're welcome to stay beyond just this but I would like to pray for you before we change would anyone feel led to do so I'll, I'll pray okay. Father we come before you this this afternoon Lord and we we come boldly into your throne of grace and agreement together, Lord, and we lift up to you, Jill, and the role that she's taken as a hero to our children, Lord, and for all of her colleagues who are working, and and uh, preachers know that uh, during this time they're working harder than ever, and we know that the, the teachers are doing the same thing, that uh, they've had to instantly adapt with no warning, no preparation, they've had to adapt and they have shined. They have, have stepped up to the plate and they've hit it out of the park. And Lord, we praise you that you have blessed us in this community with such great educators. And Lord, we ask that you would bless each of them as they continue to chart these un, to uh, navigate these uncharted waters. And Lord, we ask that uh, the future is still uncertain about how things are going to go and as we move into next year, will uh, we be able to open as normal or will we have to continue to adapt day by day? Lord, we ask your, your guidance on them as they make tough decisions, but we know that it is in the heart of a teacher to care for a child, Lord, that you would give them the wisdom they need to continue these kids' education. We lift up to you the parents who are having to uh, suddenly take on the role of teacher. And uh, Lord, we ask that you would bless them, pour out your blessing on them. These things we pray in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.
All right. You out? I'm out. Thank you so much Thank for having so me. Much. I appreciate and, uh, it. As always, I've had a lovely time with you. Thank you. I'm about to introduce some verses that are fairly well known, but we, we tend to avoid them. And the reason that we do that is because they're kind of dark and they're kind of depressing, but they don't have to be. And that comes from the book of Acts, Acts 7, 55 through 60 is what we will be reading in a little bit. The in way of introduction, though, I do want to remind you that this follows, um, you know, the, the church started in one room of disciples hiding and the Spirit comes upon them and all of a sudden they, they spring into action. And when they do that, the Spirit moves. And um, as the Spirit's moving and gifting people and, and making people stronger uh, and, and building the church revealing people's gifts, showing how they can be used, the church starts to grow. And in, in the process of that happening, a, a, a leader, kind of kind of a leader, at least a strong voice emerges in the person of Stephen. And I suppose that'll be enough for introductions. Acts 7, 55 through 60 says, But filled with, this whole, with the Holy Spirit, he, a Stephen, right? Okay. Yes. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears, and with a loud shout, all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of, the young man, of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen... He prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had, when he had said this, he died. So, like I said, these are dark and sad and potentially depressing verses. So why would I bring them up? Well, it's not because I think that these times are too dark, and it's not because I think we should be too sad, and it's certainly not because I think we should be, be depressed but it is because in the midst of darkness and in the midst of sadness and depression, and in Stephen's case, it doesn't seem like it, but if it was me, I'd say horror-stricken times. Look what he sees. He gazes into heaven. He sees the glory of God. And so there's hope there. It may not be for him, but there is some hope there. He sees it. He reports that he sees it. But what does everyone else do? And that's kind of where I want to start as we talk about these verses. And I'm going to open up the table to everyone with this question. How often are we like the people who covered their ears? How mm. often do we only want to hear what we want to hear? How often do we ignore what God is trying to do in our midst? And instead of being open to new ideas, we tend to want to rush at them like the crowd did and stamp out any idea that challenges what we think and that's probably not where you thought I would be going when you saw the verses today but what do you guys think well um, this is Peter and uh, it's an interesting question and I think it's something that we're uh, engaging right now uh, just because so much is changing around us it's sometimes difficult to figure out um, how to adapt, how to hear um, God's voice in these times, how to follow. 
you know, the audience that, that's, that Stephen is addressing here, they're, they're def- they, they want to defend their faith. They want to, you know, that they're proud of, their, of, the, of the heritage that they have. And um, what, what Stephen is saying in these verses is that there's, there's been a profound change. There's been a profound change, and it requires us to change as well. And uh, that's a hard thing for anyone to, to accept. And we see that a lot today, I think, um, in, in, uh, in the conversations that are going on on Facebook and other places where people, you know, for good reason, just want things to go back to the way they were. And when a change comes that really can't be um, undone, it's so hard to, to look around and say, where do we go from here? It's interesting that you said these people were just being faithful because so often we see an admirable quality in defending your faith. But in these verses, that's what they were doing. The people mm. that most of our church members would say were the quote-unquote bad guys in this story. Mm-hmm. They were defending their faith. Yeah. I'm not sure if they were defending their faith. They were, they were defending life as they knew it. Okay, mm. go on. Um, I mean, if you look at the verses in the, the chapter preceding um, <clears throat> this, Stephen, is, he's been selected, you know, if you remember the story, he's been selected as one of the first deacons. So he's waiting tables, he's been charged to provide for the widows and the orphans while the apostles are proclaiming the good news. And, um, and that includes allowing non-Jews... Uh, to participate in this new emerging community. And I think, I I don't want to be too focused on Jews because there's such a tendency for anti-Semitism in this, and that's not what it's about. I really think it's about the human condition being resistant to sharing power, the human condition being resistant to change generally, um, uh, people in positions of power and authority being resistant to being asked to give up or share some of that power. So Stephen's speech before he's stoned, it is inflammatory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it is like you guys are the ones who are refusing the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work of distributing God's uh, abundance fairly. Mm-hmm. And that's threatening. Yeah. That's, you know, I mean, talk about it in terms of politics, talk about it in terms of power within a church setting. When you're thinking about redistributing and inviting other voices to the table, those of us, and I'll put myself in the powerful category, we get scared because it means we're going to have to give up something. And, uh, you know, maybe rage isn't the first place we'd go to, but boy, it's easy to join other people's rage. Yes, it is. (laughs) The Mm. mob mentality. And I think, you know, there's something about that that was happening. If we can hide our own accountability within that of the crowd, some crazy things can happen where it seems like we lose responsibility for our own actions. In fact, verse 51 here, just before the stones start to fly, what he says to uh, the people is, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are, which he's basically saying, you're not real Jews, right? You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. So those were very inflammatory words. And they're resisting. I mean, it's a complete paradigm shift that they're resisting. This is, uh, so my churches, Longs and Crusoe, are doing a Bible study, um, studying the speeches in Mm -hmm. Acts. And we haven't gotten to this one yet. 
But I can say from the, from the species we've studied so far that this is a pretty uh, common technique to the, to the speeches that Peter is giving in the temple often. And it, it does, it does co come with this accusation. You have participated in killing the Messiah. And, and then it's always followed by an invitation, right? Mm -hmm. So repent, therefore, and be baptized. Mm -hmm. uh, and and, and uh, accept, and he, he, he quotes the Hebrew Bible mm -hmm. in saying, you know, this God, because you are part of this covenant, and this covenant is, um, was that was made with Abraham is that um, th your descendants, Abraham, will be blessed, and they will be a blessing to the entire world. So the acceptance of Peter's message, and I think um, the message of the disciples here, is, um, is actually uh, reminding uh, their brothers, who are Jewish people, uh, of this covenant that is for the whole world, but accepting that this is uh, something that is more expansive than just our own little group is difficult, is difficult. And here, with Stephen's speech, it ends differently than it did in the, pa in the past speeches. So instead of 3,000 coming to believe and being baptized and added to the numbers of disciples, instead, Stephen gets stoned for basically the same message. And we have to, th we have to wonder you know, why that is and what, what changed and, you know, and, and how, how come this happened. You know, it could be that uh, such, you know, with, with the uh, day of Pentecost, maybe the Pharisees, the religious leaders, felt more threatened because they're seeing this begin to spread. Mm. They could have felt more threatened or they could have felt more powerful because you had faithful believers who thought like them amassed mm -hmm. uh, for all these different festivals uh, and so and, uh, what are you celebrating at Pentecost? The law, right? Uh -huh. So it makes you I'll, I don't want to say it makes you legalistic but the law is not far from your mind. I want to look at the end of the verses that we selected now mm -hmm. um, because he may have gone in somewhat hard charging. I don't know that I'd say that he deserved what happened to him no. but um, he, he didn't pull any punches either, but I do also want you to see the softer side of him, and it's the last we see of him uh, at the end of the, the pericope, which is a selection of verses. Um, 7, 59, and 60, while they were stoning him, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So he does pray for himself, but then he goes further, and he knelt down and cried out in a, Lord, in a loud voice, Lord... Do not hold this sin against them. Hmm. And I think a lot of us, and I include the people around this table, I think a lot of us need more of that. Yes. Because when someone, quote unquote, sins against me, praying for their forgiveness and asking God to give them a pass is not at all what I typically want to do. Mm -hmm. It's quite the opposite. I've never actually prayed that God curse someone, but I've wanted to. Mm -hmm. uh, I've wanted to several times. Um, well, there's a, I mean, there's a modeling for um, being released from resentment. And I think resentment is such a strong cultural, I mean, you see it on the left and the right. There is just resentment coming out of our pores. If you disagree with me, I can't like you. Or yeah, you. yeah. Or that you're, you caused this for my suffering or my fear, mm -hmm. more accurately is more often what it is. And 
to be able to sort of um, release somebody from that kind of power over you and to choose a different way, which Stephen is, you know, ch- Stephen is choosing freedom for them in a way. Hmm. I mean, it's really, really beautiful. And I, and I, I just wonder, like, how in our own culture, in our own churches, in our community, can we sort of have more of that spirit of, of uh, allowing resentment, it bubbles up. I think we can't control the first emotion that comes up for us, but we have some control over how we respond to that initial room. And emotion. whether we act on it or not. Yeah, right. So when that resentment bubbles up or that tendency to blame, which I think as we come out of this COVID-19, this first wave, and now we've got, what, 19 people in Haywood County living with this virus, how are we going to become returned to being in community with them mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not have a lot of blaming going on with how did you get it how did you get exposed did you follow the quarantine mm-hmm. um, I'm starting to see that in, in our you know in, in various pockets of the community and how do we kind of move beyond that blaming to a place of you know we're just going to turn this over to the Lord <laughs> forgive them and um, whether or not there's been wrong done, that's not for us to even discern, right? And then to, to move on mm. into well, the, deeper the, community. The truth of the matter is it's nobody's fault. Mm. It's a virus. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's nobody's fault. And, uh, and so this is, a, it, for me, this is a really interesting point that I'm glad that we're coming to because uh, it, if you study ancient religions, if you study Egyptian religion, uh, the Greek and Roman religions, even even ancient Judaism to some extent, although you see a shift there, um, the 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 way to get over or get past something that has gone wrong in society, whether we call it someone sins or 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 so, is to is to sacrifice, mm-hmm. right? And that's and or or you know to find a scapegoat. Right, a scapegoat or a sacrificial animal, on which you put the blame for what has happened, and then and then you slaughter that animal, and it's a way of bonding a community for helping them to get past. But um, in in the person of Jesus Christ, who Stephen is channeling here and seeing in the heavens, uh, we have something new, which is that um, the victim of religious fire, violence. The one who is blamed, Jesus Christ, who is blamed for causing riots, stirring up the people, mm-hmm. disrupting the order of things in first century Upsetting Jerusalem. Yeah. Was killed, but God proves God's love for us by resurrecting him. That is to say, by allowing the victim of sacrificial violence to have a voice and to tell their story. So even Stephen here, even Stephen, is able to tell his story in such a way that um, that it, that he cannot be uh, he can killing him does not accomplish what uh, what those who who stone him sought to accomplish, which is to go back to normal. Didn't silence the witness. Right. Exactly. Right. So what? Who are the Stevens in our world, and who are I guess you could say that's another way of saying who are the Jesuses in our world because this certainly lines Stephen up with Jesus. But who do we, who do we often target with our with our ire or our rage mm-hmm. when instead we should maybe be listening to them or hearing them or helping them? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, in that's a good question. And in Jesus' case, and in Stephen's case, you know, we see, um, you know, this. It's usually people who are powerless. You know, people who uh, people who don't have enough political power um, mm -hmm. to or economic power to defend themselves end up somehow finding their way into um, into the blame. So I'm thinking about. Uh, uh, Immigrant commu communities, mm -hmm. folks who work in uh, meat pa packing plants, and and have no choice really about um, about their job, or if they have choices, they're not good choices. They're not good options. End up getting sick and being blamed at the same time for the problems that society is going through. Uh, and I think that the the example of Stephen and the example of Jesus um, show us how wrong we are if we join the mob in blaming yeah. people who are powerless mm -hmm. against something that, um, that, that really isn't their fault. Well, I want to go back to, on the tail end of that point, I want to go back to Jocelyn's point earlier. You're right that the powerless should not be scapegoated. However, there's certainly a lot of blame being handed to the powerful. Mm. Uh, if I am on the left, then it's all Trump's fault. That's right. Mm. If I am on the right, well, it's these non-science believing. I got it. I got it. Whatever. If you're on the, if right, on the right, then it's blaming it's, China. Yeah, it's, it's China. China. It's the and Chinese virus. And, yeah. and, and and our politicians who are just you know jumping ahead with the new thing that okay. like you know. So if you disagree with me, or you are not like me, or if I don't understand your world, then it's your fault. Mm. It's a it's a clever way of saying, just please don't blame me. Yeah, mm. uh, putting putting the the rage somewhere else. So, what's the Christian response then? So, um, Lent three. So this was like the second Sunday, maybe yeah, the second Sunday that we couldn't have public worship. Mm -hmm. um, the text appointed for that day was the man born blind. Mm -hmm. And if you remember Jesus' encounter with the man born blind, everybody, his disciples, you get the sense his parents, the temple authorities, everybody's like, whose fault is this? Yeah, Let's who's, who's find sin? the blame. Yeah. Let's the assumption is the it blame. has to be somebody. That's right. Somebody sinned, you know. And, and Jesus just goes right directly to the man born blind, I wish we knew his name, and heals him. Yeah. Right? And then, and then he's embedded in this new form of community. Jesus is not interested in blame. Mm -hmm. He's interested in meeting people at the point of suffering, offering healing and relationship, yeah. and then moving forward. And so when I hear the blame stuff, I just think about that story so clearly as this inspiration to go to the place of pain, meet Christ there, mm -hmm. and then be invited into a new community, a new way of being. Yeah. In fact, after after Jesus healed him, then the Pharisees blamed him for the stir that it caused, and kicked him out of the uh, synagogue. Mm. Well, and they would they would not take it's no one's fault for an answer. Yeah. Um, because they this gets us back to where we started today, which mm -hmm. is essentially embedded theology. It's you know I've always been told X Y Z, and no one better tell me the opposite, and so. They have always heard that God is good and God is all powerful, and therefore, if something bad happens, you deserve it. Mm. And no one's gonna ever admit that there's a possibility that sometimes bad things just happen. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so I want to respond to something that Jocelyn said, and I'm glad that you brought up the story of the man born blind. So, in that case, what you said is that Jesus 
and it cuts through all of the blame game and goes straight to the victim. Mm-hmm. It goes straight to the person who is suffering, um, who has been excluded from the community, who is reckoned to be nothing more than a beggar, and that's all he'll ever be, right? In the same way, we see that Stephen gets into the situation he's in um, by confronting the apostles. So the church is not excluded from the possibility of recapitulating or, uh, or reenacting um, injustices, mm-hmm. right? Stephen addresses the apostles and says, it's not fair that the widows who are Greek-speaking are not getting enough bread in the daily distribution in our community. So he's appointed to be one of those responsible for... In, so this is what the apostles do to make it right. They say... Um, we have our responsibility, and we realize that we have failed. We have failed the Greek-speaking believers among us, and so they appoint eight Greek-speaking deacons or um, stewards to, they give over power. They say, we um, realize our error here, but we are giving over power to you. And Stephen is one of the people that they give that power to. So just like Jesus in the story of the man born blind, Stephen goes and stands with those who are suffering. And unfortunately, just like Jesus, ends up getting himself in a position with those who are suffering that eventually leads to his crucifixion, or in this case, stoning. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it brings me to the uh, verse in Hebrews 4. When, when we go through these tough times, you know, we have a high priest who knows what it is, to be injustice, uh, verse starting in verse fourteen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then pr- approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So I want to follow up on one thing that Jocelyn said. It's not often that I, and I think it's very unwise to do so, it's not often that I ever disagree with Jocelyn, but (laughs) she said she wishes that she knew the name of the man who was born blind. And I'm so glad we don't, Mm. because it could be any of us. Mm. Ah, we can't take the good. name and try to figure out was he of this tribe right? can't, we can't do that which we like to do with every word in the bible anyway mm-hmm. and so I'm so glad because that kind of adds to the universal nature of Jesus' love and compassion and understanding that we can't just say well of course it's one of his tribesmen or anything like that instead we now, because we don't know who that man was, have to apply it to the any man in our mm. lives. And so that's my one point with which I disagree with you. So in I our agree community. With disagreeing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in our community, you know, something that I've observed in this time with the uh, virus is what are the, you think about the inequities that have been uncovered mm-hmm. because of this that uh, those who are below the poverty line, uh, minorities, are all have been impacted more. Those with cyclical generational health issues. Yes, yes. Uh, And so moving forward, these these 
these folks and some of them are people we had never paid attention to before are now it's been laid before us and do we not have a responsibility to do something about it. Well, I, I love that because what's Stephen is a prophet. I mean, he's talking about prophets, but in his own way, he is a prophet, um, even to the church, even mm-hmm. to the apostles mm-hmm. who interacted most closely with Jesus, revealing to them, okay, here's another opportunity for you to get it closer to how God would have it be. Yes. And I yes. think that's one of my, when I think about the creeping anxieties and fears that I have in this time as we're looking towards coming out of this crisis is that we are going to miss what God is revealing to us Mm -hmm. in terms of the opportunities to care, the opportunities to have greater structural justice or at least some difficult conversations um, about inequities that are just so clear. Um, Are we going to be like these folks turning away and not being able to bear the critique? Or are we going to have a chance for at least, you know, one more chance? God, God of second, third, infinite chances, I hope. To, to come closer mm. yes. to what God's vision is for the blessing, the original blessing that was in, promised to Abraham for the whole earth. Yeah, I think it's important for us to remember that the church is always striving for something it cannot achieve, you know, it, or it cannot achieve without God's intervention and God's help. We are always almost there, but not quite. And Stephen is pointing to the apostles and to his fellow Jew, uh, Jewish believers here in this uh, in this uh, meeting that has been um, that he's been uh, dragged into. That there is an opportunity in their midst to get closer, like you said, to, to advance the kingdom. To, yeah, to 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 approach and to listen more carefully and to walk more closely with God into that promise that um, that God made to Abraham which is that uh, that all of the all of the nations of the world would be blessed by uh, by his descendants something else that I like about this passage and uh, I find this passage a passage of hope myself Um, but the redemption how God redeems this murder Mm. when there was a young man there named Saul, who just a few chapters later would have an encounter with the risen Christ and uh, would, and the world would never be the same. Yeah. And, you know, all through Paul's writings, he, he'll always refer to, well, I'm a lesser apostle, and often he's sort of insinuating because of the persecution he had done of the Christians. And I often think, in Paul's mind, what kept him, one of the things that made him who he is, is this incident. He's haunted. He's haunted in a way. by this murder. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we have about five minutes left, and so I want to, you know, we've talked about some fairly heavy theological <laughs> topics, and so I want to end by asking each one of you, what are you doing for, you know, to protect yourself from going insane during this, all the stress of this, of this stuff? Uh, you know, share your watch list or what activities you like to do. Um, or, and there's probably more than one. So mm-hmm. we'll go NASCAR style. We'll go Peter and then Jane. <laughs> We're all sitting at a round table. Uh, putting me on the spot here. But uh, I guess, um, you know, I, 
I, I'm a millennial, and so uh, you know I've gone through the whole job search thing and not having many prospects after graduating during the financial crisis in 2008. And it looks like what we're in right now is going to be far worse than that. So. Uh, my heart goes out to everybody who's uh, graduating this year, mm-hmm. um, and I want I, I want you all to feel encouraged, and uh, I hope that we will grow together as a community. Uh, I used to joke about um, you know things that we would do while we were unemployed, uh, like uh, um, having the fake schedule, you know, where if I've got a phone call at two in the afternoon. I'm still going to get up at nine and shower and make coffee like because I've got a busy day. Yeah. Um, well, I've been doing that. You know, I've been trying to have a schedule, um, to, even though, you know, I, I, I'm really confined to to my home. I'm not doing the house visits that I used to be doing or having the in-person meetings. I still try to get up at the same time, walk my dog, make my coffee. And, and, and that fake schedule is, is doing wonders for me. So I encourage you, you know, it, it sounds funny, but I think it's, it can be a helpful thing. I've got to say that one of the blessings that have come to me during this time is, uh, like any preacher knows, and especially a bivocational one, uh, I never had a lot of time with my wife. Mm. And I have spent much time with her, and it has been good. And right. that is... Uh, that has been the the shining blessing of this, and uh, you know, and I've been able to connect with people. I've I've taken my little dog out for walks in our neighborhood, and I met neighbors that I never, you know, from from a distance, you know, <laughs> the the length of a dog leash, you know, and uh, I've I've met them by name and come to know them like I never have, and uh, so I feel blessed in this time. Yeah, um, I can relate to that. I feel like um, I'm 41, and I feel like in some ways this is like a midlife reset because it's given me a chance to evaluate choices I've made to be extremely busy and what the trade-off is because now a lot of that Mm -hmm. is taken away in terms of night meetings, and I'm still, quote, involved, right, with different boards or whatever. But it's like, wow, what am I – how do I really want to spend my time? So it's just been this blessing of being able to ask myself that and – Reconnect with things like writing. I'm reading to my son every night, even though he can read. We just read for like 20 minutes. This history of the world book. It's just delightful. So, uh, just taking a breath and remembering it's all a gift. Take time to enjoy it. <laughs> so one of the things that I've been doing is you know, this thing has forced all of us to learn new things, learn yep. new ways of reaching out. <clears throat> I know that people joke about it, but it is true that pastors three months ago we're saying oh Facebook's so bad for you mm-hmm. and now we jump back on it and like like my page you know but but we have had to learn new things and so I've been trying to make learning things a challenge mm-hmm. um, and tr- so I, I, I try to remove it from work uh, and to, to, to learn how to do technical things and, and video editing editing better and things like that I started a cooking show on YouTube um, which is, like and which subscribe. Is pretty terrible. I'm not going to say that. I'm not even going to say that the name of it. That's not what we're here for. You'll have to um, Google it. But, so making learning fun. Um, I, I had a guy who I was trying to get to fix a four-wheeler that I miss because dragging dead animals out of the woods without one is hard. Um, that on our next episode of Pastor <laughs> Pablo. And so I, I, I went and got it back to him from him because now I can learn to fix it myself. Yeah, things like that. T- 
taking things in and trying to learn things is what's been kind of keeping me a little more sane. And also, um, Netflix. 